0: Welcome to the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best doubles strategies to improve your game and win more matches. I'm your host, Will Bocek. This podcast, my website, and my weekly newsletter all focus on the goal of better understanding the sport of doubles and helping players like you improve faster through actionable advice that you can use in your very next match. My goal is to provide the best doubles strategy resources in the world. And to do that, I study, analyze, and work with players at every level of the game, all the way up to the ATP and WTA tours. If you enjoy this podcast, I've created double strategy products that go even deeper if you want to take your doubles knowledge to the next level. At the end of this episode, I'll explain more about them, or if you want to learn more now, go to thetennistribe.com products. Here's today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number two of our listener Q&A series. Episode one was last week, so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, uh, go back and check that out. I covered how to beat defensive teams and teams that push or lob a lot. I covered how to hit your volleys a little cleaner, including a training aid recommendation and a lot more. And then today we're gonna cover Uh, down the line versus cross-court volleys. We're going to cover how to choose a return side, uh, how to choose a return um, as far as a type of return to hit, whether you should come over the ball or to slice or lob or a chip. Uh, We're also going to cover how to handle players who rush the net, who come to the net um, and put a lot of pressure on you, and a few other questions as well. So all these questions are from... 3-0 up to 4-5 level players. Uh, And I'm going to use some examples as well as recommend um, another training aid today um, and then use some examples from uh, some of my matches this weekend. So I played one 9-0 mixed doubles match and then two 10-0 mixed doubles matches over the weekend, uh, one of which was in over 100 degree heat, so I'm still recovering from that. Uh, but I have some, some really good examples that help illustrate and answer some of your questions from those matches. So let's dive into the first question on uh, volleys. So this question is from Leah f- from uh, Washington, D.C. She is a four five player, and she asks, when coming to the net, in doubles what determines down the line versus cross court volleys. I go line at the net player as soon as possible to isolate the opposing net player, protect against the lob, protect my partner's alley, and push the opponent off the net. Some coaches encourage cross court volleys almost exclusively. Uh, So, Leah, similar to almost all of my answers to all of these questions, um, the answer is it depends. This is a very uh, complex question with lots of different situations and factors you need to consider. So I'll walk through as much of this as I can as far as how I think about this Um, and some of the things you should consider uh, depending on the type of volley that you're going to be hitting. So Uh, In your question, you mentioned when coming into the net in doubles. So that sounds like you're talking about a transition volley. So I'll talk about that. And then I'll talk about um, volleys once you're already at the net. So with transition volleys, typically you want to hit them at the baseline player. uh, Because with transition volleys, this is a volley that the goal is to transition to the net. That's why it's called a transition volley. So we do not want to be going for a winner or trying to end the point on this shot typically. And usually the best place to hit this is at the baseline player to apply pressure. Uh, I like to hit my transition volleys really deep in the court because that will push the baseline player back. And even if they do lob, Uh, I'm quick enough to be able to get back and cover that. And if they're lobbing from way behind the baseline, that ball's got a lot further path to travel. So it gives me plenty of time to get back to it. If you're playing someone who's a little less uh, mobile, or if you uh, aren't as mobile and can't get back to cover that lob, in that case, you might hit the volley a little bit shorter to try to pull them forward and make for a more difficult shot for them. Uh, that also forces them to pop the ball up so that you can close the net harder and then finish the point off. But regardless, with transition volleys, typically you want to go at the baseline player. So that is usually going to be cross court because you're transitioning from a cross court rally. It could be a serve and volley, a return and volley. Uh, But sometimes if you end up in a down the line rally because you used Australian formation or I formation or the opponents did that, Uh, Then in that case, it's going to be a down the line volley. So with that one, it's more about hitting at the baseline player versus the net player than it is hitting down the line versus cross court. Uh, The exceptions to this on the transition volley is if I'm able to get far enough forward um, where I'm probably inside the service line and it's a very high, easy slow ball uh, that I have on my forehand side. And in that case, sometimes I will hit it hard at the opposing net player uh, so that they're in a defensive position, they don't have time to react. Even if they do react to that, I'm still closing and they're probably gonna give me a weak ball to finish on the next shot. Um, That's probably the only exception on transition volleys. If the ball is around my waist or even lower, um, I'm always gonna go with that baseline player. Uh, and then the depth is going to kind of depend on um, some of the things I talked about earlier. Uh, in general, keeping it closer to the middle of the court is going to be better for that as well. So you don't give them angles for a passing shot or for a uh, an easy cross court lob. So that's how I think about transition volleys. If you're already at the net, there's, again, tons of factors to consider. So the location of the ball is super important. Um, if you are stretched out let's say you're poaching from uh, you're standing in the ad court you're at the net and you're poaching across towards the deuce side with your forehand if you're right-handed so if you're if you're stretched you might catch the ball a little late and you're going to go down the line there which could be at the net player or it could be behind the net player into the doubles alley uh, depending on your your skill level and where you want to aim where you're comfortable aiming. If it's into your body, a lot of times it's easier to go cross court because you can catch that volley out in front of you. So there's a good drill uh, that I went over with Dan Kiernan on the podcast. He coaches uh, Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Hillevara, who are a top uh, 10 doubles team. And he has players stand with their elbows over the net. So this is kind of an illegal volley drill. But if you stand with your your legs and your your hips right on the net, your elbows are over the net, and have a coach or, or a ball machine feed uh, balls right at you, and just practice catching the ball out in front. So the ball's coming directly at your chest or at your face, and you have to, without moving your feet, volley these balls back and forth across your body. So that helps you get comfortable hitting those. And then from there, you can back up and hit them on your side of the net uh, and work on those offensive volleys from above the height of the net. So again, the ball location is gonna be super important there. If you're on the stretch, you might catch it late. You might have to go down the line. If it's into your body, it's typically gonna be easier to catch out in front and go cross court. The height of the ball is also super, super important. So if it's above the height of the net, you can be a little more offensive, right? So if it's above the height of the net and the opposing net player is very close to you and you want to attack them, that can be a good strategy. If it's easy to hit a cross court angle away from both opponents, then that's probably best because I'd rather hit it away from my opponents than at one of them, even if they are closer to me, because if it's away from them, obviously nobody's getting to it. Um, So that can be easier in a lot of cases. Uh, But if it's below the height of the net, you typically want to hit it back to the baseline player because if you hit it at the net player, you're popping the ball up and they're going to be able to hit it back down at you and they're in a more offensive position. So that's usually going to be uh, a lot of times it's down the line. So this past weekend uh, in the 10-0 matches, a lot of times the returner would hit a hard return at me and I was the server's partner and on any of those defensive volleys especially when they got below the height of the net I would just my goal was to not miss they're they're not volleys that I'm going to be able to put away and I'm not really on offense it's more of a defensive volley from down low around my knees or my ankles so I'm just hitting the ball back deep to the returner to kind of reset the point and force them to come up with something better So if it's below the height of the net, usually you wanna go at the baseline player, uh, typically um, through the middle of the court as best you can to not give them any angles like I talked about earlier. A lot of this is also gonna depend on how close you are to the net. So on some of those high volleys, like I talked about earlier, if you're really close to the net, it's easiest to go across your body and put the volley away. If you are further off of the net, Which happens in a lot of cases at the club level, players are—I'll find players stand too far back from the net. Then in that case, sometimes it's easier to go with the baseline player, which might mean down the line, because if you're so far off the net and you hit it at that net player, they have more time to react. Versus if you're closer to the net, they're going to have less time to react because that ball's not traveling uh, as far of a distance. So. You want to keep that in mind and keep your positioning in mind when you're at the net too. In my uh, 9-0 match this past weekend, my partner was playing a little bit off the net, probably between the net and the service line, and she was reacting to some of these volleys but wasn't able to quite put them away. The opposing net player was reacting to them after she hit the volley and hitting either a winner or staying in the point. And she came over to me and said, I'm not quite putting these volleys away. And I said, well, the opponents in this case, you know, it's it's all gonna depend on your opponents, but in this case, the opponents didn't hit the ball super hard. So what I had her do, and she's a 4-0 level player, what I had her do was stand closer to the net because time was not an issue for her since the opponents didn't hit the ball super hard. Now, if they had hit with a lot of pace, I probably wouldn't have said that because then it would have been a very difficult reaction volley. We were playing against two, four, five players who were uh, both pretty solid, but they both hit the ball pretty slow. So I said, try standing closer to the net. You're still going to have time to react since they don't hit the ball very hard. And you're going to take time away from the opponent at the net who you're hitting at. And she did that and it worked really well. She was able to catch the ball a little higher because it didn't, didn't have as much time to drop. Uh, And then she took away time from the opponent and she was able to put some of these balls away or force errors off of those volleys. So how close you are to the net is really um, important as well. But in general, a few rules that I like to go by is if it's a defensive volley, you want to place it deeper in the court. If it's an offensive volley, you want to angle it off uh, for a winner. And that means you're going to be taking that from a little bit closer to the net. Again, again, there's just so many scenarios here. Uh, this is all going to depend on the strength of your volleys, the strength of the opponents as well. So in that same 9-0 match, uh, sometimes the 4-5 guy was at the net, and he had really good hands. He, he had very good reaction volleys. So on a lot of these poaches or, or high slow balls through the middle, my partner would go get it, and it was a great ball to go get, and she would hit them at him. But he had really good defensive volleys, so sometimes he would come up with a shot uh, a defensive volley that would go right past her after she hit it at him. So instead, we had her start hitting back at the baseline player because his hands were just too good. So there's no blanket rule where it's when I have this volley, I should always go with the net player. If if it's uh, a really good volleyer on the other side of the net and they have really good defensive volleys, then it's probably not a good idea to go with them. But if they're a little bit weaker, then it might be Uh, the case that you should go at them. So that's how I think about that. Uh, One of the big things is just to practice these volleys. Like I said, that cross um, across your body volley drill is a great one that I've started using more over the past couple of years, and it's helped my offensive volleys especially. Uh, And then it also depends on what you're comfortable with. I have a lot of volleys below the height of the net on my backhand volley, where I like to hit a cross court angle drop shot. And it's just, for some reason, a natural, easy volley for me. And I can hit that for a winner in a lot of cases. But a lot of players don't have that one. Maybe they have the forehand angle drop shot. And if that's you, then use it. Uh, Definitely, you know, you don't have to, because it's below the height of the net, have to hit the ball back deep. Uh, If it's a shot that you're comfortable with hitting a cross-court angle drop shot, go for it. Um, I've got uh, more information on net play strategy in... My ebook, so you can check that out as well. I've got graphics that describe the best volley targets as well as drills. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can go to vtennistribe.com/products uh, and find the ebook there, and you'll learn a lot more about net play and positioning uh, as well as um, some of my favorite drills and tactics and volley locations. So that was a long answer, but that is a, a really fun topic to talk about for me and also a very complicated one. Uh, And I think it's really important um, that a lot of club level players miss, um, especially in terms of choosing the right target and then also positioning themselves uh, in the right spot, because sometimes players will finish the point and think that there was something wrong with their technique when in reality, they either weren't close enough to the net or they chose the right uh, or or chose the wrong uh, target to try to hit their volley. So Uh, Thank you, Leah, for that question. That that was a really good one. Um, Next, we're going to talk about choosing different return sides. So question number two is from Paul. He is a 4-0 plus player from South Dakota, and he is asking about choosing return sides. So he says, in 3-5 to 4-0 doubles, should the stronger player always play the ad court when returning? How about when the team has a righty and lefty? Who plays the ad court then? So this is a great question, Paul. Uh, And there's a lot of misconceptions about choosing return sides that I'll go over here in a second. Uh, So the ad court player should be the stronger player is a big myth in doubles. I do not agree with it. I've talked about it in the past. I did a podcast episode with Steve Smith who is a a fantastic coach who's been around a long time and coached a lot of uh, current pro players and we discussed this in terms of math. So you really just have to do the math on who's going to get more returns and what you find is the deuce court player over the course of any given match is going to get more return opportunities than the ad court player. So my question for you, Paul, is would you rather have the better player taking more returns or the worse player taking more returns? So the answer is probably the better player. So how this works out is in 40-15 or 15-40 games. So if you're serving at 40-15, then you're serving to the deuce court, right? If the game ends on that point, if you serve and let's say you serve an ace, the game ends And it was, you won that game at 15. In that game, the deuce court player returned three times and the ad court player returned twice. And then in the following game that your team is going to serve, you're going to start back at the deuce court. So then now he's getting, or she is getting their fourth return of the match. Let's say your service game was the first game of the match. They're getting their fourth return of the match and the ad court player still has only had two. So with that, if anything, I would say the stronger player should play the deuce court. Now, this is not the only thing to consider. You also want to consider where you're comfortable, where's the weaker player more comfortable, and then also during the point, right? If, if I'm the stronger player and my partner doesn't like their backhand, I might have them playing the deuce court so that during the point... I can cover anything in the middle with my forehand and they don't have to hit a backhand. And if I'm the stronger player, I may be covering two-thirds of the court anyways on a lot of those rallies. So it's not the only thing to consider, but I would say definitely the stronger player playing the ad court just does not make sense. I think it's a total myth and I would throw it out the window. Uh, If anything, if everything else is equal, I would say the stronger player should actually probably play the deuce court. But... There's other things that you want to consider kind of prioritizing above uh, above that. So that's how I would think about that. As far as righty-lefty combos, typically using the lefty in the deuce court is best so that you can have four hands in the middle. Uh, in my podcast with Craig O'Shaughnessy, who's an ATP strategy coach, uh, he has this concept called the center window concept. And... The premise is the center of the court is the most important area in doubles to control. And if you can have your forehands in the middle, you're going to be more likely to control that, whether you're at the net or at the baseline. So typically, I'd recommend forehands in the middle is best. Now, there are exceptions to that. So in uh, 2021, I went to World Team Tennis out at Indian Wells And I was up in the uh, players lounge and I was talking to coach Phil Farmer, who is the current coach of Austin Krychek, who just became the number one doubles player in the world on the ATP tour. He won uh, Roland Garros last week. And I asked Phil, why is Austin returning from the ad court? At the time, he was playing with Steve Johnson, who's a right-handed player. So they were playing with backhands in the middle. Uh, and F- Phil also coached the Brian brothers who, who typically put returned um, with four hands in the middle. So Phil said, typically I do like to have four hands in the middle, but Steve is so much more comfortable returning on the deuce court and Austin returned in the ad court in college. I, I think he said, so I want to prioritize good returns over, having four hands in the middle on the fourth, sixth, eighth ball of the rally. So definitely, and I totally agree with him, making returns and being comfortable on returns is the most important part. The most common rally length is going to be a missed return, which is a rally length of one. So first we want to prioritize making returns and putting pressure on the opponents with the returns, especially of second serves. And then after that, we want to prioritize during the point, which would be forehands in the middle. So if you're comfortable on both sides, I would say forehands in the middle is best. If one of you really isn't comfortable returning from a particular side, then um, it's okay to go backhands in the middle. So the third question is from Brian. He's a 4-0 player from Texas, and he's asking about people rushing the net. So he says... I'm having a lot of trouble with people rushing, coming to the net, and I feel a lot of pressure because they'll win a lot of points just by being there. How do I handle that? So, Brian, this is something I struggled with myself uh, for a long time. There was a handful of players, especially when I lived in Austin, Texas, actually. Uh, There was a handful of teams and, and a few players in particular that come to mind that really, they serve and volleyed, they returned and volleyed, and they really applied pressure at the net. And I would typically beat a lot of teams that they lost to, but I couldn't beat them for some reason. They were just a weird matchup for me. And if you looked at all of our results throughout the season, you would think that uh, my partner and I w- should be beating this team, but it, it was just an unusual matchup, and I really had a lot of trouble because they they would beat me to the net and they would apply so much pressure. And the thing I added to my game that helped me start beating these teams is uh, obvious but important, uh, and it's the lob. Um, If you watch me practice, uh, play practice matches versus play USTA matches uh, nowadays, I hit a lot more lobs in practice matches than I do in actual USTA matches because I'm constantly working on that shot because I think it is a really effective, really important shot uh, at club-level doubles. Uh, Last week in the part one of the Q&A, several people asked about playing against the lob and playing against pushers. And the reason that's such a common question is because it works really well at the club level. So if you don't have a lob, I highly recommend adding it to your game. Uh, The interview with Craig O'Shaughnessy that I mentioned earlier um, he talks about that that center window concept, and one of the things he says about it is if the opponent is controlling the center window, so this is the area, if you go three feet left of the center net strap, three feet right of the center net strap, and then I think he says like four or six feet above it, uh, this center window area is the area of the court to control in doubles. And if your opponents are the team that's controlling it, then don't play there essentially, you know, hit down the line more or lob more. Just don't play through the center window because that's where they're controlling. Now, ideally you can control that and ideally you can beat your opponent to the net and then uh, you don't have to worry about them beating you there. But if they beat you to the net, if they're better at the net for whatever reason, then don't play at the net. So the way to do that is to practice your lobs and to create more effective lobs for yourself so when is the best time to be doing this when is the best time to lob so let's assume that they are a servant volley team if they are typically for your return you have a few options if you're comfortable with the lob return the lob return down the line especially from the deuce court can be super effective to keep them off of the net but if it's a servant volley team stepping forward on your return and hitting a good return can still be effective But then that first shot after the return, once they're already at the net, if they're putting a lot of pressure on you and they're rushing the net, that's the one you need to practice hitting the lob on. So if you're serving and they're returning and volleying, it's it's the exact opposite, right? So you hit the serve, they hit the return. You can hit your first one cross court as they come forward and hopefully get the ball down at their feet. But once they're already at the net, you've got to practice immediately throwing that lob up. In general, there's a few rules about an effective lob that can help. So lobbing over the backhand side is more effective than lobbing over the forehand side for obvious reasons. Lobbing cross-court is easier than down the line because you have more court to work with, Uh, but it does give the opponent a little bit more time to uh, get to the ball. And then also taking the ball early will help get the lob over the opponent's head faster. So if you're lobbing from say five feet behind the baseline, you're gonna hit the ball, the opponent's gonna read it, and that ball's got a long way to travel before it gets over their head, so they have a lot of time to get back and recover. If you hit the ball, um, you hit that same lob from two feet inside the baseline, it doesn't have to be quite as good of a lob because it's got less of a distance to travel, so it's gonna get over their head faster. So that's something a lot of players kinda miss, uh, if you're able to step forward and hit that lob, catch the ball early and hit the lob from uh, inside the baseline, it doesn't have to be as good. It'll get over their head faster, and you'll be able to get them off the net. Um, in general, those are a few rules that you can follow to make a more effective lob. But practicing your lob is going to be the most important thing. So if you can do that uh, in drills, in practice matches that where you're not worried about the score as much. Uh, You've got to work on those lobs to get them off the net. Uh, And then the other thing to keep in mind is sometimes you are going to have to back up to defend. So if they're leaving their volleys short, then you're going to have to step up. But a lot of players will volley with really good depth and attack the net. So in that case, you might have to return and then back up to buy yourself some time or serve and back up to buy yourself some time. So this is all is going to be opponent dependent, but keep those things in mind, practice your lob. And I think that's going to neutralize and cause the, or force the opponent to come up with a plan B because it's going to push them off the net. You're going to win more points off that lob if you're able to hit it with uh, good depth um, and get them uh, backing up off of the net. So next we have a question from Greg about returning serve. So Greg is a A 3-5 player, it sounds like he just got bumped down to to 3-0, and he lives in Tennessee, and he is 63 years old, so he's playing uh, senior 50-plus tennis, and he asks, The weakest part of my game is serve return. I never know whether to try to come over the top of the ball, slice it, chip it, lob it, bunt it, etc. Help. Uh, So, Greg... I've got a few solutions for you that hopefully will help. Uh, My first rule on returns is to focus on not missing them. So I don't care if you come over the top of the ball, if you slice it, if you chip it, if you lob it, if you bunt it, it doesn't matter to me as long as you don't miss. Uh, So that's the first rule on returns, especially against first serves. Focusing on getting the opponent to play uh, is the number one thing you can prioritize Uh, The, like I said earlier, the most common type of point in tennis is a missed return. So focusing on not missing is number one, regardless of how you get the ball back. Uh, The best strategy as far as deciding, should I hit out on this one and come over the ball? Should I chip it? Should I step forward and bunt it? It's going to depend on the type of serve that the opponent's hitting, the aggressiveness of the net player. Uh, as well as your comfort level with each of those. So for myself, if the opponent, I know this is a little different because they're probably not using kick serves in in 3-5 and 3-0, but if my opponent's hitting a good kick serve, I like to step forward and take it early. If they're hitting a slice serve um, or a flat serve, I like to step backwards by myself some time and take a slightly bigger swing. So at the 3-5, at the 3-0 level, Uh, There's probably not as much variation, but I do know um, a lot of players will have a a good slice serve on their first serve sometimes, or they'll flatten it out a little bit. So you want to adjust accordingly. And a, a few common mistakes that I see are players not adjusting their position on the return based on the opponent's serve. So forward and backwards is a big one. If the opponent is hitting a really hard flat serve, I see this all the time, actually. The opponent has a really hard flat serve for their first serve. You're standing behind the baseline to uh, hit the, the return of serve. They miss their serve, and their second serve is a really slow, maybe it's a slice serve that lands short in the service box, and you end up running it forward, uh, but you don't adjust your position. You stand behind the baseline on against their first serve as well as their second serve even though it's two totally different serves. So focus on adjusting your position based on the type of serve that's being hit. That's typically going to be more about pace than anything else. Uh, Another common mistake on return of serve is swinging too big. That's more of a technical flaw that a lot of players have. With that, you have to... uh, really just practice it. There's a training aid that I'll mention here in a second that I uh, recommend. Um, That's not very expensive that you can try out that might help with that. And then another common mistake is when players move backwards. So you really want to split step forward and have a little bit of forward momentum on the return of serve and keep your swing kind of short, compact, uh, and catch the ball out in front. You mentioned that you are 63, so I assume you're playing 50-plus or 55-plus doubles. In in that case, um, and and especially since it's 3-5 and 3-0 doubles, focusing on on not missing is your number one priority. You might try just using a continental grip on all your returns and practice just chipping it or bunting it back cross-court. There's a few keys with this, and and there's some targets that I'd like you to, to use when you practice this. So the first target's going to be just deep cross court. If you set up some cones, uh, I like to use these lines that I I purchased on Tennis Warehouse um, to set up kind of a general target area rather than a specific uh, point like a cone does. But what I'll do is uh, set up a target area between the service line and the baseline with those lines. Uh, And then it'll be the back corner of the singles court. So if you can imagine between the, the center service line and the singles line, I'll split that in half. And then between the service line and the baseline, I'll split that in half. So that back corner of the singles court, I'll set up some lines and then maybe in the middle of that, I'll put uh, a cone or two, and that'll be my target area on the returns. So that's a really good cross court return with solid depth that the opponent uh, opposing net player probably can't poach on. So that's your first target. The second one is going to be around the service line. So, this would be against players who either serve in volley or um, maybe they're not quite as mobile if they're a little bit older and they serve and back up after their serve, and you want to try to bring them to the net where they're less comfortable. You can practice using that continental grip, chipping it, uh, and having it land around the service line area. You can target uh, the opposite service box. Um, and pick out a corner of that uh, that's maybe six by six feet. And then the last area to target, and this is a great return to practice as well, is the lob down the line. So you can set up another target down the line and practice that lob down the line return, which can get the opponent kind of switching uh, and, and hitting a running shot, which might be a little bit more difficult. So if you can, with a continental grip, get all three of those returns down, that might simplify it for you and, and just create kind of a go-to return strategy that you don't really have to think about. Should I come over the top of the ball? Should I lob it? Should I chip it? And so on. Um, so practicing those can be super, super helpful. Um, in my return ebook, I do have more tactics that you can use from the deuce and the ad court. Uh, so you can go to thetennisdrive.com products if you want to check that out. Um, But in general, those are probably some good places to start. And the big thing with the return is just to keep it simple. Uh, The earlier you can take it, the better, especially if you're going to use this continental grip. Uh, If you can take it from inside the baseline, that'll just take away any uh, ability to poach from the net player and take time away from the server as well. Uh, And there's a training aid from on-court, off-court called the Backswing Solution. So if you go to my website and you go under, let me pull it up here. If you go under gear reviews and then tennis equipment, and then click on training aids, you'll find it in that blog post uh, by Joe Denifer. He is the founder of On Court Off Court, and they've got tons of really good training aids. One of them is called the Backswing Solution. So it helps you Uh, not take a backswing on your volleys as well as your return of serve. So that might be a good one for you to purchase and then practice with that continental grip hitting uh, some of those returns. Just have your partner hit serves to you and you uh, set up those target locations I talked about earlier and, practice hitting those with this back swing solution on, um, so that you don't have a big back swing. assuming that that, that is one of the problems for you, which it is for a lot of players. Uh, so hopefully that helps Greg, uh, reach out if you have any other questions about that. I do love that topic and returning serve is one of my favorite, um, shots in tennis. It's actually a, um, a strength of mine as opposed to the actual serve. So, um, that is a fun one for me. Uh, So next, we're going to talk about getting beat through the middle, and this is going to be our last question I'm going to get to today. So this next question is from Ping. He lives in the UK and is a local league team player. Ping asks, my question is about a specific situation, how to avoid being passed in between myself, the net player, and my doubles partner, the baseliner. So, Ping, this is a good question. Uh, and like all the other questions, it's going to depend on uh, your relationship with your partner. But I, I think the important thing here is you need to be communicating with your partner on this. When the ball goes through the middle, which of us is in the best position to take the ball? So, if you get beat, talk with your partner after the point and say... You know, you're at the net, so you get first access to the shot. So you should be saying, hey, I'm not comfortable with that volley. Is that a shot you can cover? And if they say, no, I, I didn't really have a good shot at that, then there's something else you'll need to change that that led to that shot. Maybe you left them a short ball that was easy for them to take through the middle, or maybe you need to mix up your, your serve formation, or maybe you need to play two back. Because if, they're getting, if your opponents are getting into a position where they're able to beat you through the middle in a way that neither of you is comfortable taking that middle ball, then you've got to diagnose that and ask why that happened and figure out how to come up with a different solution. Uh, in general, the net player, like I said, has first access to this, so they should be able to take the ball through the middle, but... Uh, If it's a difficult volley, for example, if you're standing on the deuce court and you have your backhand volley in the middle and the opponent hits a good low ball through the middle, you probably don't want to be stabbing at a low backhand volley. So instead, you're going to let that ball go and let the baseline player take it. But if you're on the ad court and you have your forehand volley in the middle and you're more comfortable with that and it's more of a slow ball that you can pinch towards the middle and hit a high forehand volley, in that case, you should probably take that one as the net player. So just with that example, you could tell there's a difference between the deuce and ad court, right? Is your forehand or backhand volley in the middle? And then what about your partner at the baseline? Is their forehand or backhand ground stroke in the middle? In uh, my 9-0 match this past weekend, for example, I was playing the ad court. So my partner uh, was a 4-0 lady, lady excuse me, uh, she, um, she was playing in the deuce court and she was a lefty actually. So she had her forehand volley in the middle. But the opponent had uh, some really good ground strokes and they hit several times. They hit some really solid uh, ground strokes through the middle of the court that she hit with her forehand volley at the opposing net player, which was the four of five guy I was talking about earlier. And he had really good hands. So what I told her after a few of them where she hit a good volley at him, but he had a good reaction volley and was able to put it away, I told her to just leave that ball so that I had a forehand ground stroke in the middle. Um, So in that case, since I was stronger than my partner, it was better for her to leave that ball. But when the opposite was true and she was back at the baseline rallying, I was at the net. I took all those forehand volleys in the middle that I could, knowing that she's a 4-0 player rallying against a higher level 4-5 player, which is a bad matchup. So I'd rather go ahead and interrupt that with my forehand volley Uh, and try to create some pressure on the opponent from the baseline. So you have to think about, do you have a forehand? Do you have a backhand? Uh, What's your strength um, or skill level in terms of the relationship between yourself and your partner? Are you the stronger player or are they the stronger player uh, to determine who should cover this middle ball? In the uh, 10-0 matches that I played recently, We both covered the middle about equally because we're both 5 0 players. We were both about the same skill level. Uh, My partner in this one was also a lefty and she has a a good forehand volley. So any balls that came through the middle, we were taking with our forehand volley and not covering for um, or not letting the baseline player hit those. Now, if they hit a quality low ball where it's going to be a difficult low forehand volley, we might leave it and give the opponent. Um, or give our partner at the baseline of forehand ground stroke because they have more time to react to that uh, that shot. So hopefully that helps. Uh, if you have more questions about that, definitely um, shoot me an email. But um, again, it's going to depend on just a lot of a lot more information than I think um, you gave in that that question. But that's how I would go about thinking about it. So this turned into a pretty long episode. Everyone, uh, thank you all for staying with me. Hopefully this all um, this helped you all out. Uh, And we'll do another one of these in the future. Um, This was a lot of fun. A lot of these questions I've answered in the past, but they're great to revisit. A lot of them I've learned new drills and changed my mind on or learned about new training aids that might help. Um, So I'll link to everything that I discussed, um, including uh, previous podcast interviews, uh, the backswing solution, training aid, uh, the eBooks, and everything like that in the show notes. Um, Thank you all for listening again, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Doubles Only Podcast. If you're interested in diving deeper into any topics I discuss, I've created double strategy products that allow me to bring you more podcasts and other doubles content without relying on paid ads. I have ebooks and courses that help you make better strategic decisions during matches and become the smartest player on the court. Go to slash products to learn more. You can also join my free weekly double strategy newsletter that includes video lessons and more on our homepage. If you want to connect, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email me directly, will at vtennistribe.com.